We're going to be several places in the Word today. First, we're going to be over at 1 Samuel 22, so if you want to turn over there, you can, or you can simply look up on the screen. We'll have it both places for you. I want you to imagine the dialogue between Abraham and God. Abraham, this is God speaking. I want you to leave everything and go to a land I will show you. Abraham says, where's that? Well, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He says, Abraham says, well, try me. Well, it's about 1,500 miles away from the place that you call home. Len's name is Canaan. Hmm, never heard of it. I know, and guess what else? I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Uh, Abraham says, that's impossible. I don't, I don't have a child yet. Uh, don't worry. Just trust me. So let me see if I got this straight, Abraham says. You want me to leave everything, travel across the desert to some place I've never heard of and become the father of a great nation. God says, that's right. Is this some kind of a joke? No. No, I just want you to trust me. I'm going to do all this for you. All right, what am I supposed to tell my wife? That's your problem. <laughs> now, God, I'm sure it helped take care of Sarah as well. We don't get to hear too much about her and her viewpoint on the trip. But sometimes God has called us to purposes. God has called us into doing things. And He's called people alongside of us, husbands and wives, but other than that, friends and co-workers and things. People are called alongside of us to help us get there. Last week, as we were looking at some of the things about helping us to reign in life, we look at subversiveness, that there are subversive people around you. And how many of you have, have encountered someone in your life who's been subversive? Doesn't that cause you to, to initially not want to trust anyone ever? Just back off. I mean, that's our normal response. We get into a protection mode. You know, if you go up to an outlet and you put your finger in it and it shocks you, what's that make you want to do the next time you come up to an outlet? Not touch it for most people. <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't want to get near that anymore. No, that's an outlet. I got, I got hurt in that before. When we come upon something and it doesn't do so well, well, we like to back off from that thing. How many of y'all know if you tasted a dish for the first time and didn't like it? How many of you want to go back and have it again? No. That's, I tasted that before. I didn't like it. I went through that before. And so we generally move into a protective mode and subversive people have a number of purposes in our lives. First off, they can undermine the thing that we're doing for God. They can undermine our walk. They can get us off from our walk. They can get us off from where God was, wants us to go to. But beside that, it can isolate us and get us so that I don't trust anybody. I don't want anybody else to come alongside. It's just going to be me because I'm the only person I can trust. And if that can be accomplished and you can get isolated from everyone else, then hey, purpose is, is, is accomplished because you'll never do as much by yourself as you can the way God has you with other people. So we've got to take a look at, at some of the things on the positive side. But last week we were looking at the negative side, the subversiveness issue. We looked at how subversive people, first off, they exalt themselves. Subversive people, they exalt themselves. They work to include and exclude people. They are constantly in your ear talking to you about why this one should be excluded, why this one should be included. 
And lastly, lastly, we saw that they have a hidden agenda. They have a hidden agenda. They have something they want to accomplish. They have something they want to gain. They have something that they want to do. But they're not up front with that. They don't let you know that right off the bat because they know that would set you back and that you wouldn't go after it. So that was last week. If you missed that and you want those things are of interest to you, we have the CDs on the back table. But what about those who are supposed to help us? You know, there are people around that are supposed to help you. You know, if a football player on a football team had a couple of uh, receivers drop the ball or a couple of defenders who let the guy get through and they said, you know what? I just can't trust anybody anyone else. I just have to do this all myself. Is it going to work? No, sir. That's not going to happen. In the same way, you have been called into life to accomplish some things. And some of those things you need other people for. Someone posed the question and says, what do we need other people for? What are other people around here to help us with? What kind of things can I take on by myself? What kind of things should I take on with other people? And sometimes we need to know what these things are. Because we can get into the ditch on both sides of the road. Brother Hagin used to always teach us. There's a ditch on the left, there's a ditch on the right. You ever go bowling? There's an alley on the left, there's an alley on the right. You don't want to be in either one of those little gullies. You want to be down the middle. But you all know, if you've been bowling before, it's hard to get that ball to go down the middle. It seems simple, doesn't it? Just start the ball off and roll it on down. It should stay down. It doesn't stay down the middle. It goes this side. It goes that side. It doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes we walk the same way. We've got, we're going off to the left. We're falling off on this ditch where we're just isolating everybody. Fall off on the other ditch where we just trust everybody with everything. So can anyone help me in the things that I'm doing? And what should they be helping with? Well, who helps? First off, who is it that's out there that's to help us? Well, the first one is out there to help us. He's probably the most trustworthy, the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. He's trustworthy. He hasn't let anybody down ever. He's good. Second to that, there's angels. Angels are called alongside to help us out and to do some of the things that are there for, for us. So we have the Holy Spirit and we have angels. And third, this is probably the most difficult group. This is people. So we got three groups of folks that are out there to help us. The Holy Spirit, angels, and people. We're okay with angels helping us. We're okay with the Holy Spirit helping us. But this people issue can get us into some trouble. We don't always like that. So how can we discern the difference between those of the people side that are there to subvert us and those that are there to help us? There ought to be a way that we should be able to tell. Figure all that stuff out. If there are those who come alongside of us to undermine our faith, our calling, or our goal, how can I identify those who are here to truly help me? Now, understand this. Here's, here's what you are not looking for. We are not looking for perfect people. If you are looking for perfect people to come alongside and help you, you will not find it. Don't look for perfect people. You do not need perfect people to help you accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. God can accomplish it with imperfect people. He's done it in the past. We're not looking for perfect attitudes. Don't think that everybody who's going to come alongside of you and help you has to have a perfect attitude. I mean, the better attitude they have, the better. But <laughs> Don't think they have to have perfect attitudes. And they don't have to have perfect abilities. They don't have to be perfect in the things they do. They can make mistakes. That's alright. We don't have to have perfect people. Perfect attitudes are perfect Abilities. We are looking for this. People who receive. Look for people who receive. We'll get more into what that is in a, in a moment here. People 
who are humble. People who do not hide their desires. And people who are fair with everyone. People who are humble. People who do not hide their desires. And people who are fair with everyone. We'll elaborate more on these, but this is what you're looking for as far as people are concerned. Over in 1 Samuel. We're going to take a look at a story here. David, he needs some people. He's got Saul after him. And finally, he flees and he leaves the folks that he was with. And he gets some other people to come around him. Look who comes around him. David therefore departed. Chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard of it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. So he's got 400 people who gathered with him who are in debt, who are discontent. They've all gathered to him. They're disgruntled. They're in distress. How many of you know these are not a group of perfect people with perfect abilities and perfect attitudes? <laughs> that's, not what these, that's not what he has with them there. But he takes these 400 men and we see that he grows those 400 men up into 600. And they accomplish a lot of things, these 600 people. Out of this 600, we have David's mighty 30. How many have ever read about David's mighty 30? Oh, awesome. Awesome stuff. I didn't write the chapter down in there, but if you keep on going here in 1 Samuel, you'll come across the description of his 30 great men. Out of his 30, we're the top three. This is like the Hall of Fame of warriors. These guys were brutal in war. And you do not want to go up against these guys. They were fierce. They didn't, they didn't just try and kill one or two in a battle. They were looking to kill whole squadrons apiece. And one guy, they said, he, he killed so many in one battle that you couldn't tell where the sword stopped and his arm began. That's a lot of people. That's a whole lot of flesh and blood and stuff like that hanging on him after he killed them. And, mm, gory. But this is what these guys were. And they became not only good warriors, but these were guys that David could depend on. David could trust his life with. And when you see some of the names of these people who came out, these are these are, are men you're saying, wow, these are folks who were distressed, disgruntled, in debt, in debt. This is where they came from. Look at the names. Look at the people who came out of this. Look at some of the names that are around. Jo- uh, Joab was one of the ones that was around David. Abishai. These are some of the names that came out of of this group of people were phenomenal. But they didn't start that way. And David had to accomplish this with people who were distressed, disgruntled, in debt. So he didn't start out with perfect people. But here's something that was about these guys. Let's go over to chapter 23. Then they were told, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Goliath. And they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Goliath. But David's men said to him, David's men, these are the disgruntled, in debt people who came around that we get the mighty 30 from. 
And David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kaliah against the armies of the Philistines? They're scared. They are afraid to go forward into battle. Isn't that something about these? So these guys who we get the 30 from, and remember the 30, they arose over the, the other group. They were the elite out of the rest of the group, but the other ones were still elite. David took 600 men and did stuff with it. With 600 men. It was phenomenal. He was undefeated in battle with his 600 men. Never lost a battle. Going through and you find out he never lost a single battle with these 600 men. Didn't matter who he came up against, what city he attacked, never lost. And they learned after a while that we can't take all 600 into battle. We've got to leave some back. So after a while, he left 200 back, took 400 into battle, and still won every time. So these guys became great warriors, but they didn't start out that way, and they started out afraid. So David, here's the a, here's a scenario. David hears that there's a need. He goes to the guy and says, Shall I go and help them out? And God says, yes, go. So he comes out to his men. The Lord has told me that we are to go and help these people out. And the men say, but we're afraid. We're afraid. Maybe you ought to go back and, and check and see. Because we're kind of scared about this. We don't really think that this is what we ought to be doing. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keliah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kaliah and fought for the, with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kaliah. Why did they go? They were afraid. They were scared. They were, were afraid here. Why are we going to go down there and pick on the Philistines? We're afraid of this thing. So, so David goes back and he checks the Lord. And here's what happens in between these verses. David comes back to his men. I went to the Lord again. And the Lord said, we're to go and then He'll deliver them into our hand. You know what these people demonstrate in this story? Even though it doesn't come out in it? They received from David. When David came back and said, nope, the Lord said to go, they received that. They said, alright. David, if the Lord told you that we're to go, we're going to receive that from you. We don't feel it because we're, we're afraid. But if the Lord has told you we are to go, we're going to receive that. We're going to go into battle and they won. And the men gained confidence. These men who were disgruntled, these men who were in debt, these men who really had no place to go, had come around David because there's nothing else to do, no other place to be. They received from David when David said, the Lord told us, go into battle. Alright, we're going to go. And they grew from that. And they got stronger. And they went from that battle into another battle. And into another battle. They received from David. But I'll tell you what, it's really too that David listened to him. David didn't just say, shut up. Lord said, we're going to battle. We're going into battle. Let's go. No, he says, you know what? I understand you all are a bit, a bit afraid here. And we haven't done anything like this together. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to go back and check with God. Just make sure. And he goes back and he checks with God and he comes back out. So the men see that first off, David will listen to him. And they trust that David heard from the Lord. So they received from David when he said, now, nah, let's go back into battle. These were people who received. If you are going to find people that are going to help you in what you're going to do, these are people that need to be able to receive. How many of you know people that when you say something to them, it can just bounce off of them? Nothing, nothing, just bounces off. 
Nah, that's not right. Nah, that's not right. Nah. You can't help those people. But when you get people that you can speak something into their life or someone in their life can speak into their life, you know what? I've received that. I'm not quite so sure about that, but I've received that and I'll go ahead and act like it's so. You've got people who can receive. If you've got people that can receive, they're probably not going to be a subverter. They're going to be people that can help you. You've got people that are humble. They're not exalted in their own eyes. Subversive people exalt themselves. People that are truly in the game to help you out, they are humble. And notice that. If you've got people that are always exalting themselves and you trust them with something, don't go to God crying when they burn you. Because God's warned you enough times. We looked at several stories last week. We looked at stories in the past to let you know the Bible teaches us how to spot subversive people and keep them out. Now, you don't, you don't just keep them out of your life. You try and help them out where you can, but you only go so far with them. They don't hide their desires. These people did not hide the fact that they were afraid. They didn't come to David and say, all right, we'll go ahead and inside be afraid. They told David, we're afraid. We're not going into this battle with a hidden agenda to undermine you or anything like that. We are afraid. And so David was able to minister to that. If people will express to you their true desires and you can either minister to it and make it into a good desire, but you at least know what's going on, what's happening. People who are not looking to subvert you but are looking to help you, these people are fair with everyone. Be very leery very leery of people who are one way with one person and another way with someone else. Be very leery of them. Don't trust them yet. Let them get out of that. But observe them. How are they with this one? I heard someone say, I don't even know who it was or where it was, whether it was in a, um, uh, one of the sermons I podcast or whether it was some other scenario. I don't remember what it was. But what they said was so good that Look at how people treat those who cannot help them. Look at how people treat those who cannot help them. That will show you their true character. People will always treat folks who can help them nice. But if you can't help them, and that person changes in the way that they are to them as compared to someone who can help them, those are not people to be trusted with great things yet. Don't do it. Observe how they are. If you have folks that say, how many of you know people that when you're around, they'll say one thing and when someone else comes around, they'll say something else. That's not good to be, be trusting people like that. Those are subversive people. You want people that will say the same thing around you and the same thing around someone else. They would be the same. They're not going to change. They're not going to go and move off whatever they believe to be true is true. Then they're going to stay with that. It's particularly bothersome to me that folks will trust people when they speak evil of others when that person is not within hearing. You been around that? Oh, brother, sister, so-and-so. Oh, the things that they... Oh, do you know what they're doing? Do you know what they said? Do you know what they didn't do? But then when they get around brother or sister and so-and-so, they're all sweet and nice. And you wonder why a person like that subverted you? (laughs) 
There's already you're watching them subvert people. Don't do that. No, you want people that are that are good all the way around. Well, the men express fear, but the men receive from David. It's important that people receive. And I'm not saying that they have to just receive from you. But they need to receive from somebody. If you've got people and they never receive from anyone, they are probably not going to help you. They will probably, at first opportunity, hurt you. Because the person who receives from no one is their own authority. And the only one they're out to protect and to help is themselves. So the moment you become inconvenient, the moment you become a problem, you're out the door. We'll replace you with someone else. Because the one who's number one in their life is themselves. You don't want folks like that. You look at David's men. You go through, I'll tell you, going through the, the book of Samuel and just looking at David's men is a great study. These are people who would give their lives for David. They would give their lives for David. Now, I was watching the show. You all know my son has some interest in becoming a seal. And so we, uh, you know, we go, we constantly peruse the military channel and, uh, love the military channel. <laughs> and we sometimes put that, put that on and they had this show on there and they do some things with seals. And I was watching this thing and I thought, boy, this is pretty interesting. And Christian, I figured, Christian, he may have already seen it, but I taped it for him anyway. I, I finished watching it. One of the things they would do, and they were going through and they were showing all the stuff they would do to train you up. They called it Hell Week. And it was terrible, terrible stuff they put them all through. And they, they would show you what the, uh, all the steps and things like that. But they knew that leaders would rise in here and they would have leaders over the different groups. I think they had about three or four, four teams, I think it was, they had on the, in this particular one. Four teams and they had different leaders over them. And they, uh, after they went through all this stuff in the week and, and the men are pretty much just broken, they put them all into a pool. And they took the leaders and they put them up on the diving boards and they had to do some kind of a dive. And they watched the men as they watched the leaders dive off of the board. What they were listening for was cheers. If the men on the ground cheered the men who were diving, then that was a good leader. If the men on the ground didn't care or were indifferent to the person who was diving, that was probably not a good leader. Because they said a good leader instilled a sense of loyalty in the men that were under them. I thought that was fascinating. <laughs> and some of the things that they would do throughout this, it was just, oh, it was, it was a fun show. I enjoyed watching it and seeing some of the things that they had, had done with this. David was a good leader because David's men would die for him. Some of his, if you go through the story, you'll find out that three of his men, when David just said, you know, oh, I would love to drink from the well that's over there in Bethlehem. And three of his guys just heard it. David didn't even ask them. Three of them heard it. Oh, let's go get one for them. And so they go all the way back through Saul's lines at risk of their own life to get some water, put it in a pail, and bring it on back. And they bring it back to David. David, you said you wanted a drink. We brought one for you. And David said, you guys, you risked your life to get me a drink of water from this well. Wow. I can't drink of something that you guys put your own blood out there for. I'm going to offer this as an offering to God. And he poured it out as an offering to God. David instilled in his men loyalty. The loyalty 
that his men had for David was not a testimony to them as much as it was to David. He was the one who instilled it in them. Now, his other leaders had people that were under them and they instilled leadership. They instilled loyalty to them as well. But it's because they were people who received. They would receive instruction. They would receive edification. They would receive things to build them up. They would receive correction. They were humble. They didn't hide their desires. And they were fair with everyone. David was fair with everyone. I'm not saying that David didn't like certain ones more, but he was fair with everyone. He didn't say, you know what, I like you better. Therefore, I'm going to give you more or do more. No, he didn't do that. He was fair with everyone. That's the thing we need to do. Go on over to 1 Timothy, if you would. Chapter 3. We're looking at some qualifications for leaders. And out of this, we'll get some ideas of things we should look for in people that we can bring around us to trust. Because surely, if God would trust them as a leader in the church, you should be able to trust them in your own life, right? 1 Timothy, chapter 3. This is a faithful saying, verse 1. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, not gentle, or, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house well, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he'd fall into shame, or fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, we'll go a few more verses here as well, but I want you to notice this about people. Some people are content to be followers. They're content with it. They really don't have a desire to become anything else but a follower. They'll find a leader out there. They'll find someone out there. And they are content to be a follower. That's all right. This is good enough right here. Some aspire to be leaders and rulers. Some aspire to be leaders and rulers. So some people are content to be followers, but some aspire to be leaders and rulers. It is more difficult to become a leader and a ruler and there is more that is put on you. And sometimes those who just want to be followers don't really desire all the extra responsibility that comes on by being that leader or that ruler. And so they're content to be followers. Well, thank God they're just followers. Thank God they're just leaders. Thank God they're just rulers. They're all good. But we're looking particularly here at the qualifications of those that would become the leader or the ruler. Now notice this, a leader-ruler positions are not earned by time served. You ever run into people who think that time served ought to get them into a position of a ruler? Well, people also are going to try and get in your life and because of how long they've been in your life think that you ought to trust them with certain things. That you ought to put certain things off on them. 
leaders or rulers, those positions are not earned by time served, but entrusted to those proven. And we talked about this in our faithfulness series, series before this, about proving yourself, about being entrusted. But just because a person's been around for a long time doesn't mean that they ought to be moved into the place of a leader or a ruler in your life, in the church, or any other place. And just because they haven't been doesn't mean they aren't either. Have you ever been in a, or in a workplace in a job and some newcomer comes in and soars to heights in that, that place? Well, they showed some things and they were able to prove some stuff that other people hadn't been able to prove. That's probably why they got to there. Hopefully that's the, the reasons. But understand, time served. Don't, don't be sitting there but God says, God, I've been following after you for 10 years. I've been following after you for 20 years. I've been in the church doing things for you for 30 years. I think it's time that I lead something. No, it's not. Leadership is entrusted to proven people. Now, we already touched on this, but I want to touch on this part again. The strong, to the strong. And leaders need to be strong. Rulers need to be strong. To the strong, truth is always truth. To the weak, truth is conditional. But to the strong, truth is always truth. It doesn't veer off. It doesn't become non-truth. How many of you all like those politicians that get out in front of one group and say one truth? And then they get out in front of another group, another group of people, another interest group, you know, whatever the interest group might be, and they get in front of that one, and then the truth changed. And then they believe this truth. No. I want people who are going to get out there and believe the truth no matter what. This, this is the truth. You may not like it. It may not be popular to you, but this is the truth. I would love to hear the politician, and I, don't, I haven't heard of him much on either side, who would get up in the first caucus. Where's that first caucus? Is it Iowa? I think it's Iowa. The big corn state. I would love to see one of them get up there and say, I think ethanol stinks as a fuel. I would love to see that. But every time they get up, because, you know, Iowa starts it all. And so you got to make sure that you appease Iowa. So they all get up there and say, ethanol's great. We're going to continue to subsidize it. We're going to continue to pay you all to, to grow corn and burn it up. Ethanol's not a great fuel. You looked into the research. I've done research on it. You'd be surprised at how horrible it actually is. But we're not here to talk about that. You see, either ethanol is a good fuel or it's not. There's a truth to it. If it's true, then the truth ought to be true in New York as well as it is in Iowa. It doesn't change from being truth in Iowa to not being truth in New York. It shouldn't change that way. If coal is a good fuel, then it shouldn't just be a good fuel when you're in Pennsylvania and not when you're in California. If a particular bill is a good bill, then it ought to be a good bill and not a good bill as long as you get this. To the weak, truth is conditional. To the strong, truth is always truth. Now, you'll never get tested more than when you are put in front of a group of people in which the truth you believe is tested. 
You'll never get t- testimony. You know, you get in front of a group of uh, uh, just rabid anti-God people, and they set you up and say, "We hear you're a Christian." If you back off some of those truths, then you have just labeled yourself as weak. How many of y'all believe that Jesus is the healer? But not in front of everyone. (laughs) Well, either Jesus is the healer or He's not the healer. If He is the healer, then He's the healer in front of Protestants. He's the healer in front of Catholics. He's the healer in front of Lutherans. He's the healer in front of Baptists. If He's the healer. If He's not the healer, then He's not the healer in front of Catholics. Not the healer in front of Baptists. Not the healer in front of Wesleyans. Not the healer in front of atheists. But sometimes we back off of the truth because, well, I don't think they'll like this truth so much. This one may not be so popular. I'm going to back off on that. If you see a person do that in one aspect of the life, don't you think they're capable of doing it in other aspects of the life? How many of you have people in your life that you would say they are a true friend? You have, I hope you do. I hope you have true friends in your life. Now, if that true friend you find out isn't so true about some of the things they believe in other places, what does that cause you to do? Surprise! I didn't think this friend would do this. I thought they would always. Truth is truth is truth. It's truth. If it's right, it's right. If it's wrong, it's wrong. I think one of the things that upsets me the most about political circles is that not that people in the political system change their mind. How many have ever heard of a political candidate who believed one thing and then changed their mind? And I'm okay with that. Because you know what? I've changed my mind from things I believed 10 years ago. Haven't you? I, I hope we're always learning. And I have the ability to believe one thing 10 years ago and believe something different now. I think you do too. But you know what I've done? I've said, I once believed that. I don't believe that anymore. I now believe this. I did believe that because I thought this and this and this was so. But now I found out this and this and this isn't so. And so I believe that this is the truth now. But when a person gets up there and says, I believe this, and then 10 years later says, no, I don't believe that, I believe this. Well, you said this. Well, no, I never said that. But you said, no, I never said that. I don't trust them. I'm fine with anybody who wants to change their mind. You know, we, how many of you have changed your mind on some doctrines? Christian doctrines because you learned something in the Word of God. Sure you have. I have too. If not, we're not growing. I learn more stuff. And, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't know that Jesus was my healer. Found out Jesus was my healer. When I was growing up, I didn't go to a church that spoke in tongues. Found out spoken in tongues. It's okay. <laughs> I didn't go to a church that we worship raising our hands. Found out worshiping raising your hands is okay. I didn't go to a church that made much noise when we worship God. Found out making noise when you worship God is okay. I changed some of that. But I don't deny where I was. I can acknowledge where I was, but I changed. I'm not doing that anymore. I've come over here now. I believe that this one is, is so. And that's fine. I'm on board for anybody to change. I mean, how many of us at one point in our life were against God? Didn't we change that position? But then we had to say, I once didn't believe in God. Then I found out some things. And now I believe in God. 
That's okay. Don't ever get mad at a political candidate because they changed their mind on things or changed their position on things. Don't get mad at them for that. That's all right. I don't care, Democrat, Independent, Republican, or Libertarian, or whatever group that they're with. Who cares what group they're with? If they, well, I used to believe this way, but now I believe this. I am okay with them changing their mind. But tell me that you changed your mind. Tell me that this is not the way I'm going and I'm going this way now. But oh, when people do that and they deny it. How many of you ever had a friend? And you know, they're, they're your sworn friend. They've been friends forever and all this sort of stuff. And then you hear that they said some nasty things about you. And you come over to them and, did you say some of those things? No, no. No, I never said that at all. No. 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 Not me. No. No. But you found out. Three or four other sources. No, they said that. You're coming back. But I heard from some other people that you said, do you really feel that I'm that way? Do you really feel that I would do that? No. No, I've never felt that way. No. What do you do? Isn't it far better if they say, you know, I did say that. It was at a time when I was really angry with you and I thought you had done this. I thought you had believed this. I thought you had spoken this. But I found out I was wrong. And I thought I went back to everybody and and took care of that. But apparently I didn't. But I want to let you know, I don't think that now. I did think that for a time. And I let it out of my mouth and I shouldn't have. I was wrong for doing that. But I don't... Wouldn't you be able to trust a person like that so much better? Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. We can certainly trust them. So just understand, there's people out there and just like you, you have sometimes said things that you didn't necessarily believe because you were basing it on something that apparently wasn't true. You let things slip. But you can correct it. Oh, I did say that. And then just correct it. Let other people do that as well. If you've got people in the body of Christ, somebody that you like to watch on TV, and they stand up and they teach something from the Word of God, and then a, a few weeks later they come back, you know what, I taught this and that I was wrong for teaching that. Alright. Let them go on. Let them go on to whatever else. You know, somebody brought it to my attention and I hadn't really thought of it that way. But as they brought it to my attention, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. That's not really what I think. And then they teach you what's, what's going on. You had better fully restore that person because if not, you're going to be coming under something yourself. We all make mistakes. Let people make mistakes. Just because people make mistakes that are close to you that are in your life doesn't mean they shouldn't ever be trusted. Just look at how they handle the mistake. What do they do with it? They deny it? Never existed? Never happened? Or do they take ownership of it and say, I'm sorry. I did that wrong. I shouldn't have said it that way. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have believed that about you. I was wrong for doing so. Please forgive me. Well, I hope you forgive them and work to build that trust up again. Well, here's a question. Well, we didn't get into our scripture here. Let's get into, into the scripture. First Timothy 3. I threw, th- threw a few of these things down, but I left you some space because you might want to take some of these qualifications for yourself. Write them down. Some of the ones that mean the most to you. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. These are some good qualities to look for in folks. Look for people that are hospitable. Look for people able to teach. 
I mean, you don't just get in front of people and teach that way, but you know, one-on-one, being able to teach there, it's a great thing to be able to do. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money. If you get greedy for money, folks, it is real easy for you to have a hidden agenda. You get a hidden agenda, you become on what side? The subverter side. Don't look for people that are greedy for money. Look for people that are willing to give it away. But gentle, not quarrelsome. You ever run into people that just quarrel over everything? Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> not a good trait. Not covetous. If you get covetous, then you begin to covet the other things and you begin to come it with a hidden agenda. I want to get that thing. I want to have that position. I want to do that here or whatever, whatever it might be. One who rules his own house well, leaving his children in submission with all reverence, that if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Now, not all these traits are you going to transfer over into just people that are going to be leaders and rulers and helpers in your life. But you can sure look at these things and put on, take on some of them. Jump on down to verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued. You know what double-tongued is? Truth is truth all the time. Truth is not conditional. Truth is not one truth in Pennsylvania and another truth in California. Not double-tongued. If they say something in Pennsylvania, it ought to be true in California. If they say something in front of you, it should be still true in front of someone else. And they ought to hold to it just as much. Now, there's a, 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 a something some, somebody taught me. I'm pretty sure somebody taught it to me. And I just kind of adopted it and have been following it. But I tried to make sure that I will not utter words about another person that I have not or am not willing to say in front of them. I can't say I've been 100% of it, but I sure try to be 100% of it. I'm always thinking, would I say this in front of that person? Would I say this to them? Because if you don't be careful about that, and you say to so-and-so, it won't take long till it gets in front of them. Because when you release words into the community about a person, it's like they have a magnet and it just draws those words to them. And eventually they get there. But they probably aren't said the same way that you said it or with the same attitude. It's probably said a whole lot different. You know, you could say something like, I'm not sure if I... I'm on board with that person just yet. And by the time it gets all the way over, they don't like you. (laughs) They think you're a heathen. (laughs) I'd rather say it myself to the, to the person. So try and, you know, you can, you can follow that for yourself if you want, or I just always thought it was better. Because there's some things are just not worth saying if you don't want to have them repeated. Likewise, deacons must be reverent. I'll tell you what, being reverent. That's a good quality to have right there. Not double-tongued. Not given to much wine. In other words, you can have a little bit of wine, but they shouldn't be uh, getting drunk and, and stuff like that. Not greedy for money. There's that theme again. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So we're going to test these guys out. Before they move on and do anything else, we're going to test them out and make sure that they're good. And then we're going to eventually put them into the place of a deacon. And if they test out there and they hold up, then we might move them on into something else. But, you know, you can test some people out. 
feel free to test some things out. Don't we test other stuff out? I mean, we're, we're good at testing. Before you buy a car, don't you go on a test drive? See how that car works? See if that, you may like that model, but what about this particular car? I don't want to just buy it and not having, not have driven it. We gotta drive that thing. Test it out. So test that method, them things out as well. It says, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their households well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain from themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith, which is Christ Jesus. There are people out there who will measure up and who will be faithful, who will be trustworthy and will help you accomplish the goals that God has for you. There are also people who will let you down. There are people who have let folks down in the past who have now come to a place of being faithful. That's a hard one though, isn't it? Let them back in and mm, I don't know about that. But you test them. You put some stuff on them and you test them. And you see how, how they do. How good will it go with that? Be tested. Why do I need people in my life? What do I need help with? How many have ever asked this question? What do I need help with? I am fine by myself. I know I can trust me. I know what I put in my hands gets done right. Why would I have to trust anyone else? I mean, I, I know the Word of God. I can handle things in my life. Now see, here's a lot of it. What, uh, what category you put yourself here in the beginning? Remember the two categories of people? Those who aspire to be leaders and rulers and those, they're content to be followers. If you are content to be a follower, you probably don't have the need for other people as much. But you still have a need. Let's take a look at some of the things that we can, we can have. First off, if you are struggling, get help. If you are struggling with something, get some help. How do you know if an object is too heavy for you to carry? When you lift it up and you struggle. Ah, I can't quite get this one. I need help. Now, there are some things that you can overcome. And you can, you can get things done. You know, Christian and I, we, uh, he's my main helper for putting bunk beds together. Um, if he's not available, my wife comes along and she fills in nicely. Uh, and sometimes I have to go on myself. He's not, he, when he's in school and I have to do a daytime delivery. And I have to go myself. Now, I can set up a bunk bed entirely by myself. I do not need any help. I can also set it up with help a whole lot faster. And Christian and I, we are always timing ourselves. Once we have the whole bed looked in, one or both of us, all right, <laughs> we are always timing ourselves. How fast can we get it done? And you know, each bed is different. Well, we got this model done in 20 minutes. Well, we got this model done in 25. It was a bigger model. It was more stuff to put together. And we got one done. We had hit it at 20. And we, we looked at our watch after 18 minutes. We put a bunk bed together in 18 minutes. We were probably pleased with that. Now, we're going to go out there and we're going to get 17. 
And we're always tweaking the thing and finding out stuff. But He anticipates things wonderfully. As soon as we are done with one step, He is already switching the tools over to the next step. He knows what comes next. He grabs the next board. He lines things up. So we're just bing, bang, boom. And sometimes people come on over and they say, you know, how long will this take me to set it up? I say, well, my son and I have it down to where we can put it together in about 20 minutes. And so the last person who picked one up says, oh, it should only take me about two or three hours. <laughs> I says, no, 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 no. You'll get it done. You'll get it done faster than that. But, you know, there are some things that go better with help. There are things you can do by yourself, but it goes better with help. But if you're stuck, hey, you can get it done. So if you're struggling, get some help. I mean, you can lift stuff. It, it isn't like the, just always the weight gives you trouble. Sometimes the object is just so big or awkward, you just need somebody else on the other side to stabilize it. And boy, it just makes it go so much easier. Get some help. So at first, when you're first born again, it may be issues with your walk. You may need Christians to come along and help you with your walk with God, to stay obedient to the Word of God, to learn the Word of God, to know what the Word of God means in this situation, to know how to pray in this situation, to know what God's will is in this situation, because you don't know, and you need other people to come along and to help you in that. But how many of y'all know you do grow out of that? You get to a spot where, all right, I've people have put into me, I know about this, I know what the will of God is here. I know what the Word of God has said in this. I have understanding on this. And you don't need help with that. And so for someone to come along, well, you should have asked for help. How many of y'all just rubs you the wrong way? What do you mean ask for help? I don't know how to do that. Come on. So at first, it may be issues with your walk. But later, it may be focused more on battling issues. Battling issues may dominate. Issues like... Uh, 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 a big health issue, healing issue, a spiritual battle that you have in your life, a problem that you're trying to overcome that you haven't been able to overcome. And you're, you hadn't taken this on before, but you're taking it on now, and it's a big battle. It's tough. Well, get a hold of somebody and just get them to take hold of you with the thing. All right, I need you to check up with me. I need you to ask me some things. I need you to pray with me. I need you to believe with me. I need you to help me find some scriptures on this. Whatever it might be. But get some help on it. If it's overcoming you, get some help with it. Find somebody that you can trust. Somebody that you've tested out. And put some of these things in there. I need, I need to trust you with some things. I need to be able to tell you some things. Help me out with it. Well, eventually, you're going to get to a place where ruling issues are at the forefront. And here's a transition. If you never aspire to be a leader or a ruler in the body of Christ, then you'll never get to this spot. Then you can get to a place where you can do most of your battles on your own. You can do most of your walk things on your own. And it seems like you don't really need anybody. But if you are that together, you ought to be aspiring to be a leader. You ought to be aspiring to help people out in their walk. Eventually, ruling issues are going to come to the forefront. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the fields, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. 
And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, that's really a growth spot to get to. To get to the place where the kingdom of God is all that you're concerned about. And what he's basically listing here is that at first, you're concerned about some issues about your walk. And you need some help along with that. Second, you got some battle issues and you need some help with, with some of that because you're battling whether you have something to wear today, whether you're going to be having a job and have money and all that sort of thing. But eventually, you're going to get to a place where you're in concentrating mostly on rolling. You seek first the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of Steve. Not the kingdom of George or Sue or Anne or whoever else. Not you personally. The kingdom of God. Father God, what is going on in your kingdom? And how can we accomplish this? Oh, we need to do this, don't we? You need, you want this to be done. Well, the only way we can do that is if this and this and this happens. And so you begin to take those that are under leadership that you rule over. And you begin to, we need to do this. Can you go out there and can you go out there and can you go out here? Ruling issues. I need help. I can't get this done myself. This is the big thing. David saw that God wanted him to be king. That's a big project. He can't do this by himself. He needs people. So he started early raising up people and getting people around him because you need to have people around you to do that kind of a job. Saul didn't do that and didn't work out so well for him. But David did. What kind of people are you going to have around you for this? Seek first the kingdom of God. Get focused into ruling His kingdom. If you are in a place and you say, I really don't need anybody. I'm pretty much okay the way I am. I, I got my walk under control and I'm able to fight off most of the things that come against me and I'm doing pretty well this, this way. Then you have not done what's in this Scripture. You're not seeking first the kingdom of God. You have sought first your kingdom and your kingdom is established so you're okay. But God wants you to seek first the kingdom of God. If you want to go out to the kingdom of God, do something for the kingdom of God, you're going to need other people. You're going to corral them around and help them out. And you know, just by growing other people up, you help the kingdom of God. You are not in this on your own. You need other people around. You look at Christians anymore and they get hurt in church and so then they go home and have church in front of the TV. Because then, I don't have to deal with the people in the church. I don't have to get hurt by the people in the church. I just sit here at home and I'm I'm okay with God because I'm in church. Uh-uh. You need to be around people. You need to have people that are around you. You need to have people that can ask you things and that you can answer them, draw on the Holy Spirit that way. And you need to have people that when God gives you a project for the kingdom and God gives you a vision for the kingdom and says, take care of this. All right, who can we get to help us 
get that done. And you find your 30, your three, and you look to raise them up and make them into great people. You take the discontented, the disgruntled, the in-debt people. We can make something out of them. We can do something with these guys. I think it's amazing with David. If you go on through, you find out. If, it's been a while since I've, I've read all that. But he started out with 400 and grew to 600 pretty rapidly. And he went into battle after battle after battle. And every time we read about David's men, you know how many there are? 600. Battle after battle after battle. He comes back with 600. Goes into another battle. Comes back with 600. Not a whole lot really made of that out of the Word of God. It's just that the number 600 keeps coming up time after time after time. And he's got his 30 guys. Did he ever lose one of his 30 in battle? There was one who did die. He got a little bit out beyond himself where he was supposed to be. If you remember... uh, uh, Oh, I can't think of his name now. Just said his name not too long ago. Abner killed him in, in battle. Um, the real fleet-footed guy. Joab's brother. Oh, I cannot think of his name now. Abishael? I think it might be Abishael. Real fast guy. And Abner was trying to say, you know, turn around. Turn, you don't want to get involved in this battle. I don't want to have to kill you. How could I face your brother? And he says, no, no, I'm coming after you. I'm coming after you. And so Abner turned around and the Bunt and the blunt end of his spear went right through him. He ran that fast. Just ran right into the thing and went right through him and he died. And uh, Joab was very mad about that and came after and got Abner for it. But that's the only one that I know of that he lost. They're pretty good with that. Keeping them in the, in the fold. Trust people. If you are going to rule in this life, you are going to have to trust people. Constantly, the enemy will throw people in your path that he knows will eventually hurt you and cause you to never want to trust anyone ever again. Never want to be around church people ever again. And eventually, that will even affect your walk with God. Don't let it happen. The Word of God has given us so many places to help warn us about these subversive people. God wants to get them out of it, but as long as they're in that subversive state, they will hurt you and they can hurt you. And he says... So only trust them with stuff that doesn't matter. But eventually, if they prove themselves, then bring them on in. But God wants you to trust other people. We come together for church. I don't want us just coming together for church and just one or two people have something to say. We want to trust you to have something. That's why we have things in place. If you get a word and you come into church with a word, tell one of the ushers. The ushers will get word to me and we'll find a place for that word to be shared. We'll find a place for that prophecy to be shared. If you have a word from God, we'll find a place for that to be shared. Just don't get up and blurt it out. We want to have it done in a place where it can be heard and it fits and it gets gets going right. So come into church with stuff and just let somebody know, I've got something. It might be for today, maybe it's for something else, I don't know. But we'll, we'll just let us know. So on this wall, Bob, I'll usually ask you, what's the topic? What kind of thing? Is it a word of exhortation? Is it a word of encouragement? What kind of a word is it? I need to know what kind of a word it is. We know what kind of place it to be. That's not because I'm trying to control everything in the church. It's simply because I need to know where it goes, where it fits.
So if we want you to come on in with that. You may come on in and say, that we need to pray for people over this. More than likely, I'm going to have you do the praying. I don't need to do all the praying in the church. My wife doesn't need to do all the praying in the church. We want other people to be doing that. But we want you to come on in with that. Sometimes some of you folks have gotten a little bit lazy. Not people in other churches and other countries and other states. I'm talking about you all. <laughs> You've gotten a little bit lazy. You're getting up 9 o'clock. Jumping in the shower, getting in the car, and getting on out here, squeezing in at 10 of, 5 of, 5 after, 10 after. Right? Did you have time to prepare and receive anything? Now, I'm not telling that you have to get down on your knees as early as I get down on my knees for Sunday. I'm not saying that you have to pray for as long as I pray on a Sunday. Some of you know how early that is and how long that is, and that's fine if you do and fine if you don't. It don't matter to me. But, get up! Well, Sunday's my day to sleep in. What's more important to you? Being part of the kingdom? Being one that God can entrust things with? Come into church with something. Come into church and be ready. Well, I don't know that it's going to be... I mean, it's not real deep, but I don't care if it's real deep. How many of you ever heard somebody share something that wasn't real deep? But boy, ministered to you. It was good. Listen to God. Hear what He has to say. Well, I just know Pastor won't let me say anything. <laughs> you ever asked? You can go do your own little straw poll around here in the church. You find out how many people have ever asked to say something that got turned down. Come on. Stop being lazy. You just want to get up at 9 o'clock in the morning. That's all. Get up. Spend some time in prayer. If you're not a morning person, say, I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. Then pray at night time. Get at night, then go to bed. <laughs> There's a way around it. I'm a morning person. I don't do as well enough. I like getting up early. Got that from my dad, apparently. He likes to do the same thing. <laughs> he likes to get up early and get his stuff done. Whenever it is that you get up, whenever it is that you're the most conscious, get in there, pray, get something from God. If you didn't get anything from God, don't feel like you've got to force it. But get something. Bring it in. I got something to share this morning. Good. I got a praise report I want to pass on. Good. We want to hear it. I got victory over something I want to share. I didn't think I needed to share, but God was putting on me to share this victory. I want to let people know. Good. Come on. Let's share it. We want to hear. So get ready. We are in this together. Whether you like it or not, you need other people. Whether you've been hurt before or not, it does not excuse you from trusting someone again. You are required to. No one in this room has been burned as much as God has. And He keeps trusting people. He's our example. If He keeps trusting people, we're going to keep trusting people. We'll have some people get up and say some nutty stuff. Most of you know better and know how to pick it all out. And that's fine. If not, you know, I may have to... Most times we don't have to straighten anything out. But that's alright. Don't feel like you have to have all your ducks in the, in the lined up in order for it to work. Well, if it's not perfect, I just know. No. Just get out there and, and do what God put on your, on your heart to do. But get up and pray. Don't just come in here, church, squeezing in here, barely getting in there in time, and then God's going to move on you during the worship service. How many of you all like it? If I just said, well, I'm going to get in here in church and God's just going to move on me in the worship service for the message. No. I expect to hear from God. 
Now, there are times that God moves on me during the worship service and I'll get something. And sometimes people get all excited about that. Oh, it must have been spiritual. Pastor got this during the worship service. I actually get disappointed when that happens. Because I feel like that's a lack of preparation on my part. I actually go back and when the times it's happened, I said, God, I'm sorry, I missed you earlier. I thought this was you were in this one. And I missed it. You were in this one over here. I actually feel disappointed. Now, I may not have missed it. Maybe God sometimes just wants to test me. There's been a handful of times that I come in here with nothing. And then when I, after it's over, I tell you about it. <laughs> That's hard for me. That's real hard for me. I want to come in with something. There's one time God did let me do that. He let me prep something. And I wrote up an outline. I says, I know I'm not going to get to it. And I didn't. <laughs> but I knew about it ahead of time. But I just told God, I just felt better having it there. <laughs> but another time, He didn't let me have that. It's all right, but don't just expect, well, when God's going to move me during worship. You're supposed to be worshiping Him during that time, not getting stuff. Worship Him. Get stuff at home. Bring it in. The Word of God says, let each of you come to church with a psalm, with a hymn, with a word. Come to church with it. Don't come to church and get it. So we want to see more of that. We want to hear more of you folks. I got something. That's Let's get that going. So I want to get that commitment from you all. We're in this together. I don't need to have everything. My wife doesn't have to have, to have everything. Phyllis doesn't have to have everything. The worship part. No, there's other, other, we, we don't all have to have everything. We all have different parts. We all bring them together. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You for the help that You give us. We do need other people. We don't always like that we need other people. Because sometimes it feels like the only one we can really count on is you and us. But you have made us in such a way that we need to trust other people. We need to rely on them and lean on them. If we are going to rule and reign, we cannot rule and reign on our own. It does require other people. There is nothing to rule over if it's just us. Or we want to rule in a good way. As we looked at in your word, how to rule well. We want to do that. But Father, help us to do our part. To come prepared. To come with something. To come ready. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.